Welcome to the RSP cast. To my left is none other than the Grinch. I gotta get it. Yeah, I gotta get it. Oh, he showed up as the Grinch. Now he's like, now he's cured, but he was the Grinch. See, well, my heart grew three three sizes bigger that day. His, see, his heart did grow three sizes bigger that day. See, this will be outside, and it's designed. You can see the hand here. Yeah. To have the lights going into his hand, so it looks like he's tearing down the decorations. You know, if you move that several thousand miles west into Denver, you might think it was Teddy Bridgewater. But, uh, you might think it was yeah. Teddy Bridgewater. Well, you know, Mark Schofield, I'm Lemon Pepper Lou. You can find me <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> if you don't know anything about that, let's just say that 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 mark is very good at making friends and influencing people um yeah. you, you know but uh you can find me at <laughs> lemon pepper lou that's what two m's um you know <laughs> probably an eagles fan if i have to uh, imagine but and we'll talk yeah. more about fans and all of that fairly soon today in fact you know let's start with teddy teddy bridgewater here because you know there's this play against the eagles where teddy bridge there's a fumble it's recovered by Darius Slay. He makes his run back. When you look at the tape, Teddy Bridgewater looks like he has an angle to at least be in on the tackle. He dips his head very slightly and then is like, nah, forget it. Makes the business decision. And apparently, you know, everybody, this is easy fodder for everybody to be up in arms about who are fans that he's going to lose the locker room if he hasn't already lost the locker room that he should have tried how he should have tried or he should have tried and maybe faked it and like all the other great quarterbacks do is and then i we had a there's a discussion on the football guys message board that made me laugh because it was like you know is teddy bridgewater good enough to be able to fake it and get away with it you know, yeah. and I'm like, how did we get there? Like, either you make the business decision or you don't make the business decision. But this is how we go as NFL fans, even media and fantasy analysts and everything like that. So what's your thoughts on this whole thing? You know, it's it's the perfect story for midweek and during a football season when you've got nothing to talk about on, say, a Tuesday and Wednesday. So, <laughs> hey, what about Teddy Bridgewater? I mean, what happened there? I mean... Should he have tried, like, as a former football player, as a former athlete? Like, yeah, you'd like to see a guy try to make a play. But at the same time, you know, I was having this discussion with Rachel Prevet on our Eagles show because we were talking about that. I remember in college our coaches telling us quarterbacks, like, there's a loose ball, a fumbled snap, get away from the pile. The last thing we want to see you do is diving in, trying to recover a fumble, extended your throwing arm out, and then having somebody land on your shoulder – and as I told Rachel, I think that was more an instruction for Jake Fay, as in if you dive in for a fumble situation after you fumble the snap and you get hurt, Mark's going to have to play. And we do not want that. <laughs> it's like the play in the old Ted Marcha Broda. Look, if 18 goes down, we're screwed. If we don't practice screwed, it's the same thing. So, look, quarterbacks are kind of taught, you know, don't hurt yourself. Don't expose yourself to hits. But at the same time, it makes for an easy discussion. We're still talking about Cam Newton. I mean, we're still talking about Cam Newton for Super Bowl 50 when there was a loose ball and he didn't dive in and made the business decision. Now you might say, look, that's a Super Bowl. Heck, you do it anyway. Maybe not at week 10 of an NFL season. I, I can understand why Teddy did what he did. I don't think it, it's going to have this like lasting impact. I don't think it's a situation where he's going to like lose the locker room or anything like that. Players know it's a business. He's your quarterback. If he goes down, you've got Drew Locke. And then what? So... Kenny G. So that's yeah. exactly. And that's the thing. I mean, I think that 
it's the beginning of the fourth quarter. It's still a ball game. Yep. It's a mistake that happens. And I think he looked at that angle and whatever this, this it was part of training, part um, split second flash of like, I probably am going to get hit by two different people trying to get to this guy. Let me dip away. And that was his first instinct with that based on what his instruction was. And yeah, do you want me for the fourth quarter to have a pot potential to get back in this game or Drew Locke? And the answer from what we've seen thus far in their careers, you don't want Drew Locke on the field. Um, yeah. And so, and you also want Teddy Bridgewater on the field for the rest of the games that are going to occur. Yeah. Yeah. So this is just, it, to me, it's a conflation of a lot of other things, probably a lot of frustrations in Denver. And it's that whole idea of you need to see effort. And then you're going to see the ridiculousness that it gets to, which is, well, you know, you see a lot of the quarterbacks at least try. And it's like, well, everyone knows they're faking the funk anyway in the film room. They're laughing about, look at Manning trying to invent a way of how he dove for that. Or look at Steve Young trying to invent a way that he did that. Or or look at this. And then they're looking at some of the young quarterbacks on film. Well, we just lost our season because young, dumb, and, and full of heroism, basically. Yeah. I mean, he's got a torn labor in his left shoulder because he tried to make a tackle. Yeah, and, and he's you know, doing well. Yeah. yeah. And this popped up a couple of weeks ago when Brady threw the pick six on Halloween night and P.J. Williams was running that back. There was a shot of Brady literally hands on hips watching it. And yeah. people are like, why isn't he going to try to make a tackle? Why? Do you want Ryan Griffin for the rest of the season if yeah. you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Like, yeah. Well, you've got to protect the quarterback in more ways than one. Otherwise yeah. you've got Tom Brady with a torn labrum. How's that going to run for Tampa Bay the rest of the way? Yeah. You're playing with 10 men on the field on a return and just deal with yeah. it. I mean, yeah. and if the guy makes the effort, and, makes the tackle and stays healthy, then it's a bonus. Yeah. And here's the other thing. What are defensive players taught on a turnover <laughs> situation? Find the quarterback and bury him, right? Yes. That's what they're taught to do. Yeah. So even if you're just standing there, they might, throw a block on yeah. you and blast you into the third row. So if anything, look, yeah, I because mean, maybe this is the old quarterback in me. Just get out of the way yeah. and let it go. For me, it's bonus points. For me, it's bonus points as a defender if you get a quarterback. It's bonus points. Yeah. I mean, heck, look at Bounty Gate. I imagine yeah. you know how much – you know the quarterback was probably the highest valued player in that yeah. crazy situation – that Houston being probably not so crazy back in the 70s and 80s and early 90s um, in terms of how coaches probably did that. Because if that was going on in that locker room, you know it's gone on in a lot of others beyond just Buddy Ryan. Even though yeah. you'll probably hear coaches, I never heard of that. And then they get off the podium and go into the locker room and start laughing that they that they right. acted so well. They congratulate themselves for that. So, yeah. you know, it's it's funny how that goes. All right, so now that we've gotten the ridiculous out of the way, Let's talk about something that I think is even more ridiculous that we never even hear conversation about other than occasionally from media wonks like us, which is player safety. You know, watching that Miami game and, you know, first there was the Sammy Watkins post route where he, he looks like he loses the ball, but he also seems concerned about the goalpost, but probably more concerned about the end line, if you ask me, because in Miami, there's like basically a hop skip and a jump straight into a wall and there's a and there's a track in between that where you get a change in the in the hardness of the surface a change in the texture of the surface um a change in color of the surface which are all things that can kind of screw you up after you've been running 40 yards downfield 
along a completely different surface that also has the same grade, uh, 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 you know, or similar grade enough, you know, with grass that your body gets a feel for. So I just, every year, I just feel like this is something that you need, NFL, you need to sacrifice some ticket sales and widen that out so that each end zone has at least a runway before there's a wall. Maybe you also get rid of the track or you have some grass laid out there so that the same that the, the surface is even. You can paint the grass if you want to so it's easier for the officials to tell when they step out of the end line or whatever, even though the end line's so freaking wide, how do you not see right. that? So right. just continue to put grass out there so that they have a, a runway to slow down naturally and they don't have to do what they're doing. And I don't care about photographers. Like, I mean, if you, to me, if I were a player, I'd probably, you know, if I were a coach and knowing that I didn't have much time left, Vic Pangio, I would probably want to like, I, you know, I, and complaining about Jim Harbaugh, I mean, I, or John Harbaugh, I just laugh about that, but like, right. I, I would just have my players, I'd have my players come over there and just run over some photographers, like get points for like knocking photographers out, you know? But I mean, I, I just think that the photographers need to stay, they need to get the photographers into a different place. It's not going to affect the game that much. I don't think it's going to be, it's not going to change the financial impact of that game so much. You can do something else. You can make fancy boxes you know, away from, you know, as your new floor level seats and do something cool there and people would buy it, you know, they buy anything. So, you know, to me, it's just about player safety and it's just another, another layer of several layers of things that the NFL does. It says we like the, like the quarterbacks who pretend that they're going to tackle somebody, you know, we're pretending that we care about certain things that maybe we don't care so much about. It's just a business decision. Yeah, I mean, you would think in the era of player safety being paramount that you would do things like this because, you know, when you've got that change in surface, like you said, running full speed and suddenly you're on, you know, a different surface, that's going to cause you some, you know, trepidation. That's going to cause you a potential slip and fall situation. When you have these walls so close to like the end line, like you said, somebody's running downfield on a vertical route, they can't go full speed and stop in time. And the other thing is this, how do ACL tears happen? A lot of time, it's a sudden stop situation. So if you're running downfield at, you know, 22 miles per hour or whatever you're at, and then you feel like you have to slam on the brakes to prevent yourself hitting the wall, that's how yeah. ACL injuries happen. Like, that's how these get blown out. So, yeah, I mean, if you have to do it, like, you see some of these soccer stadiums around the world where it's like the pitch looks like a posted stamp, and then there's like 500 feet around the field, Till you get finally to the stadiums, what, what for whatever reason that was done, whether it's soccer player safety, whether it's to prevent like fans getting onto the pitch right away or something like that, whatever it is, you need to might need to replicate that at the NFL level because players are going to get hurt, people are going to get hurt, like it's an issue. Yeah, and I mean in Cleveland, I know that they run out of the end zone, they have to run up a little hill before they. Yeah. They, and I, I, I think there would be a lot of opposing players that would rather tear an ACL than see the dog pound, you know, or or the black right. hole, or. But yet, yeah, no, seriously though, they, yeah. you know, it's just that, and in college you see it too. I mean, it's just like they hit the track and they start skidding, you know, yeah. and I. And you, we've seen plenty of people hit the wall hard, and some of those walls aren't covered. Some of them are brick. Some of them are harder surfaces, and I'm just, I, you know, it's sad. I hope it doesn't happen, but 
you know, I, I anticipate the only way they're ever going to change this is when somebody has an unalterably life-changing injury that is um, much more than a concussion, much more than a knee tear, um, and they're, they're carried off of a field and they're never yeah. able to get up again. And if that, if I hope to, I hope to God that doesn't happen, but uh, it just seemed, you know, from life experience, you see certain behaviors and you think the only thing that's going to change this is a tragedy. And, right. you know, and then there's going to be a whole bunch of debate from people who are being going to be like, well, it was just one, it was just one situation. And it's like, well, no, there were plenty that we don't know about and that were people were inalterably in injured maybe just not as dramatically and not as final, you know? Yeah. So there we go. So, all right. There seem to be a lot of big backs in the league, you know, yeah. where there's the trendy statement in the past was the league's going to default to scat backs, you know, but you know, it just seemed obvious all this nickel and diamond of NFL defenses seems to be a, a factor in changing that. Cause if you're playing, you know, if you're playing six men and five men boxes, of course you're going to bring a big back in there and, and run through, especially when you start to see smaller, more athletic defenders who are quick in short space, who can run and chase and cover, but asking them to tackle now that they're be, they've become part cornerback, well, that's what happens when you start to you start to funnel the defenders into being more cornerback than linebacker, you, you know? And as a result of that, yeah, we're, I'm, I'm just looking at the lineups this week. It's like A.J. Dillon, Ramondre Stevenson, Jordan Howard's back. You know, we've already got Elliott Still and Nick Chubb and, and the like. But, you know, is it about the nickel and diamond or is it just about finding talent where it is and using the talent as it is? I think it's both. I mean, I, I think a lot of it is schematic in nature, uh, schematic foundation too, because when we get, you're getting, like you said, so many light boxes and you're getting a lot of those hybrid defenders that are that overhand player where, you know, you're seeing these teams that are sort of struggling the RPO game. I, I've seen, you know, the Bills struggle, the Chiefs struggle at times, the Eagles struggle at times. A lot of the reason for that is the quarterback's making that, you know, ratio box count read at the snap, right? are there five or six or seven in the box? You know, can we block this up if we run or not? And a lot of it depends on that overhand defender. In many cases, that is one of those hybrid type players, a guy that was maybe a safety in college or a safety at the start of his career that now is being used as more of a linebacker. And while defensives have done a pretty good job of getting that player to muddy that count, so you might be quote unquote wrong, when you just run against that look, you're going to be able to get that guy blocked up. So, you know, the, the counter argument there is just run with a bigger back, you know, just run with a bigger back because even if you can't get that extra guy blocked up, that guy versus a bigger back is a win for the offense as opposed to that guy versus your traditional scat back type player. So I, I think it is in part schematic. And I also think it's, look, you know, it, it's sort of, you know, finding market inefficiencies. If so many offenses are, finding the scat backs and constructing a roster with a lot of those guys, the bigger backs might not be rostered. They might be available. They might be, you know, acquired via trade or free agency. And then you can find a role for them. You can find a role for a guy like an AJ Dillon, where, you know, if you're going to draft him early, people are like, why are you drafted this guy early in the draft? He's a big between the tackles thumper guy with these huge quads. That's not where the league is going. Well, you can find a role for him. 
and he can carve out a, a valued part of your run game as a result. And so I think it's part partly in market inefficiencies and, and partly schematic. Yeah, and, and I think the market inefficiencies thing is a great way of looking at playing football because why do you want to be like everybody else when everyone's going to be trying to defend everyone else? You want someone to defend right. you in a way where it's unique to them and it makes that, their life harder because th their defense isn't naturally set up to, to function against you. That's why the Ravens are right. such a difficult play, even though they're banged up and have so many backup quality players on their raw on their in their lineups at times right now um as a result of that still because of all the things that they do other teams don't face that and so and it's the same thing with lamar jackson no he's not like every quarterback you, you know no he doesn't make some of the the perimeter throws that you want from the robo quarterbacks of the nfl universe but the things that he does great he does greater than most and yeah. and then there's things that no one can do that he does so it's you know when i hear about market you know what's market inefficiency and things like that what i usually hear is herd mentality um versus real thinkers about what's where the league's heading and how to do something with that as opposed to we must keep up and do the trendy thing because dollars you know yeah. you know Dollars will come if you actually aren't a pale imitation and you're something original. So yeah. what about the AFC North? Um, who wins the AFC North right now? Whoever's healthy at the end. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, look, you, you can make that argument for seven of the eight divisions, you know? whoever's going to be healthy at the end is going to be the team that's left standing because you, you look at the way this, this year, this season is shaken out. Like who are the good teams? Like we, we thought a couple of weeks ago, Oh, well, you know, maybe, maybe the Rams, you know, they're going all in, they're getting Vaughn Miller, they're getting Odell. And the past two weeks they've looked bad. You know, you look at, is it the bills? Well, they've been shaky at times. You lose nine, six to the Jacksonville Jaguars. You're not going to get a lot of people buying in on you. Know, I mean, maybe Tennessee is the most complete team right now, but they're getting banged up. You know, Julio Jones has been in and out of the lineup. They lost Derrick Henry now. Who knows when he's coming back? They lose Ryan Tannehill, and, or they lose some guys on that defensive front. It could be a different story. You know, but getting to the north, I can't buy Pittsburgh. I, I just can't buy Pittsburgh. We've had conversations about Ben Roethlisberger, and – you know, we're starting to get him. We, he was out, you know, with COVID. Obviously, that's a different situation. But we're seeing some weather games. You know, weather might be a factor this weekend. If we see him struggle, that could be an issue. I certainly can't buy Cleveland. I mean, they had a fantastic open and drive against New England. Fantastic open and drive. And New England, on their next possession, their first possession of the game, had a third and eight. And if Mac Jones doesn't hit Hunter Henry to move the sticks there, we could be talking about a completely different game. But – you know, Cleveland certainly did not look good this weekend. I know the Bengals were off, but they've looked shaky at times. So I think by default, it's Baltimore. And part of the reason is what you just talked about. It's Lamar Jackson. You know, when push comes to shove out of the four quarterbacks in that division right now, as good as I think Joe Burrow is, and as much as I think he's developed rather well and come back from this injury, the guy I trust the most right now is Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that this is an interesting question because it, it kind of comes down to, I think, the quarterback or the offensive line. And yeah. I think the quarterback is the player that gets you too advanced into the final games, into the, you know, deep into the playoffs. 
But I think it's the offensive line that gets you into the playoffs. So I'm going to go the opposite route. And I'm going to say, I think Cleveland's going to be, I think Cleveland's going to get in because they have the best offensive line. Um, and it won't matter. It won't matter whether it's Baker Mayfield or Case Keenum. I think it'll matter whether it, whether they have a healthy enough, healthy enough running backs to play. And I think they will because, I mean, Chubb just had COVID, so he should be fine this week, we're thinking. Um and if not, they, Ernest Johnson is competent, at least. Yeah. And, and and then Kareem Hunt will be coming back. So I think right now Cleveland has been playing, as much as Browns fans hate to hear this, with you know a, a gilded butterfly of a starting quarterback, you know, who, who's basically, you know, who's held up as being great but really isn't. And so I, I think that, you know, Cleveland's kind of used to already what they have. It's just a matter of you plug Case Keenum in, you have Baker Mayfield, maybe get a little more, maybe get a little more youthful excitement out of, you know, Baker when he does the Walter Payton pony kicks with nobody around him in a, you know, on a sideline run. But, you know, it is what it is. So I, I'm thinking Cleveland wins it, um, but I think it's their one-and-done team without a quarterback play, you know. Yeah, so. I mean, that – I can see that. I mean, their offensive line is great. I mean, and and you, you notice know, what? Sort of... you, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just got to say this. You notice they got behind once they got behind in New England because New England could run the ball back on them. They had to go to the shotgun. They had to spread the ball around, and then it was up to Baker Mayfield to win. They put it in Baker's hands, and that's when the game went downhill. Yeah, and New England's doing, and I'm going to talk about New England a little bit later, a little yeah. bit more of their defensive side of the ball, but they're, they're doing some fun stuff defensively. You know, their offensive line, Cleveland's offensive line, is so good. And you could just imagine a scenario where you get into a Week 17, a Week 18, uh, a playoff game where they can just wear you down. They could put together that 10, 12, 15-play drive where it's just they're going to wear you down up front. And I know we're in the air of, of running backs don't matter, but putting that part to the side, the bumper sticker slogan, the undercard of that, which I think does make some sense, is offensive lines matter a ton. And Cleveland, and as you said, in the AFC North, has the best one of the bunch. Yeah. So it's a it, – it should have been the most exciting division, and it's still a fun one to watch because they're, they're all tough-minded teams that play physical football. Um, and they all have certain great, you know, elements on their roster. But – but yeah, they're all looking one and done to me right now, unless like yeah. Cincinnati totally gets it together, and I don't see that happening. No, I don't. But I think from Cincinnati's perspective, I feel like they're still a year ahead, right? What's weird is I feel like Cincinnati this year is like last year's Dolphins, where it's like nobody expected them to be this good right now. It's great to see. Hopefully, they don't screw it up like the Dolphins seem to have done down in Miami. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's. Let's talk about that um, for a minute about defensive weaknesses because you met, you brought it up and um, I kind of audible in our order of stuff that we usually do. I know you throw me off the script here. I'm I, like I'm Jared Goff. I'm you know trying to hear the helmet. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. I'm confused. Yeah, I know that or we're like that or we're like um, Elliot and the Raven secondary telling Marlon Humphrey to go on the out when they're gonna yeah. run run up. So. Um, what is a weakness of a defense you've watched and how other teams can exploit it down the line? You know, it's interesting. I've, I've got a couple um, that I'm kind of got in mind here. I, I think one is a team we just talked about, Baltimore. You know, they do so much of the zero blitz stuff. They do so much of, you know, these man pressure schemes. 
but with the injuries they've had Marcus Peters on down, like, like it's sort of that I talk about a lot, that trickle down effect where Marlon Humphrey is a tremendously talented player in the secondary. I mean, I think what Doug Farrar and I sort of, you know, ranked, you know, defensive backs last year, he was a top 10 boundary corner and a top 10 slot corner, like having Tyron Matthew or guys that can like do both. Jalen Ramsey is another one. Um, but now he has to be like CB1. You, you can't move him around as much, and so it has that sort of trickle-down effect. So I think, you know, you're going to see teams have some success attacking that. Cincinnati did a very good job a couple of weeks ago of getting stuff blocked up. What you, I'm, I'm seeing more of, and I actually wrote about this a couple of weeks ago, um, it's not a revolutionary thing, but as you're seeing at the college level, the use of the sniffer alignment, right? So you get these mugged up a guys in the a gaps. So you take the back and you say you're in protection, but you're not doing it from depth. We're going to walk you right behind one of these a gaps. So you can stop that guy right there. If he comes, um, Cincinnati has been doing that. Buffalo did some of it last year and they're doing it this year. Um, the Rams have done some of it. The Patriots, that third and eight play I mentioned um, on their opening drive, Cleveland mugs up both a gaps. They take Brandon Bolden. They put him right behind one of those a gaps and say, look, if one or both of these guys come, you're right there. It's not you're you're blocking from depth. And so I think, you know, like Cincinnati did, you'll see teams attack Baltimore that way. And the other one, you know, the the, the Chargers run defense. You know, the Chargers run defense, when you're going to play these two high shells pre-snap and get the run fit, well, it's easy to do when you've got Aaron Donald from Brandon Staley's perspective, like he was doing last year. You don't have Aaron Donald now. And so teams are going to continue to run the football. New England did it well. Other teams, Baltimore did it well. You can run the ball on the Chargers, and I think you're gonna uh, that obviously sets up so much play action elements off of that. Yeah, I mean, I'll I, I think the the Chargers are a paper champion in defense. When I hear that they're, they're a top ten passing defense, when I just just watch the film. I'm like, I can't wait as an offense to play the Chargers because right. they maybe they were good to begin, and maybe there were some key injuries. And Derwin James is a fine individual player, and they have some other fine individual players. But Kenneth Murray, man, I mean, I watch him in the middle of the, the field, and he's still that reckless guy who, like, yeah. takes angles that you're just like, what's going on there? And and they were missing him, you know, in recent weeks, you know. Yeah. I mean, you can run on that team, and you can get into space. And speaking of teams that, you know, I find interesting, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I think defensively they have some holes there because while they have some, you know, you look at this team and the way they're predicated is that they like to drop back and – they like to blitz early, and they bring in Devin White and Levante David and blitz them through the A-gaps on early downs. And if they can get a, a long down-and-distance situation, then they like to just send four, drop um, White and David into coverage with deep, you know, deep secondary and let things and make plays in front of them, which is fine. It caught, It's a good strategy in the sense that it creates um, – it forces teams to be patient and to nickel and dime their way down the field to avoid big plays. And if you avoid big plays, then, you know, with the offense you have, you're going to be in every game. Um, and you're and you're going to bet on that you're going to win every game with the offense that you have. Um, but in the past couple of weeks, it's been interesting because when you watch that team up front, yeah, they've got Shaq Barrett, they've got Pierre Paul, and but are, both, are either of those guys really able to handle double teams anymore? Uh, at a level and still get home to the quarterback and the and the while they've got two big guys in Sue and Vea those guys look like they're like 
pushing buses when they get up. You know, it's impressive what they're doing, but it takes forever for them to collapse a pocket. And so you don't really need to double team those guys as much. And if you do, you're more double teaming the ends and letting those big fellas like, you know, push a bus through a mud pit, you know, because that's how they look. And as a result, you have time to make two, three reads, usually find the open man in the position underneath the two linebackers and move the sticks. And the play, it seemed like they were... The Washington football team had multiple first down conversions, you know, on those looks on third and long. Um, yeah. And they were all underneath the linebackers, you know. And the only one that the the, the linebacker stopped was a, was a David White combo, you know, hit and strip situation um, in the fourth quarter of the game that led to a turnover. And it brought and it was what brought Tampa Bay back. Um, or led to a drive that brought them within a close margin before Washington just did it all over again, you, you know. So I think that if you're looking at a hole for the Buccaneers, it is that their scheme forces, you know, White and David, who are very good players, obviously, if you're going to do that, force them to clean up a lot. And yeah. that's and if you have a patient football team that is going to take that underneath regularly, you know that can put that can put that team at a disadvantage. I mean, do you think it was almost like a, a mismatch problem in a sense because that's who Taylor Heineke is? Like, like yeah. he's willing to do that. He's willing to take that stuff. But some of the other quarterbacks that you're going to see down the down the road, you Matt know, Stafford, Stafford. That's, that's exactly where I was going. They're not going to be as patient. They're not going to be as willing to do that, and they'll almost play right into Tampa Bay's hands. So, you know, if you're Todd Bowles, you're like. All right, well, maybe Taylor Heineke got us this week, but I'm not worried about the Taylor Heineke's of the world. I'm worried about the Staffords of the world, and we'll be fine in the long run. Yeah, I'm gonna. We're gonna. We're gonna do an ad read and an impromptu ad read. It's gonna be for my buddy Jay Moyer at Jay Moyer Football. Follow Jay Moyer at Jay Moyer Football, just because. And this is the this is the ad for him because apparently Mark Lane. I don't, um, who is a verified guy. I don't, he's probably a major media of some sort. He, he reported that Troy Aikman told, um, the, you know, DF Wick ticket at the Rams that Matthew Stafford may be feeling what the Browns Baker Mayfield felt having to force the ball to Odell Beckham. Aikman also wonders if the Rams recent acquisitions have shaken the team's foundation. I mean, it's a, and he says basically, I think it's a good thing because I think the world of Matthew and we've, talked about it and all the things that he's capable of doing so i agree i like a lot of what they've done but the last few moves i don't want to say desperation because i don't feel that way but i've definitely got the feeling watching him last night that it totally shook the chemistry and foundation and the bedrock of this football team and that happens you bring in just one player you bring into the locker room it can change the dynamic of a locker room let's just say you have players who if you bring in a player then someone's not going to say not going to play right i mean you're going to bring in a guy and he's going to have play and then someone and then someone then is not going to play be playing as much and they're not going to be too happy um well if that player is not going to be playing as much or, or is a popular player in the locker room or has four or five really close friends 
hey, he was doing pretty well. And then that starts trickling down and then you have that and it creates cl clicks within. So that's what I sensed last night. Maybe they've gone a little bit too far. Stafford throws an interception on the opening position because he's trying to get the ball down to OBJ. Whether he stopped on the route or not, he's not going to complete the pass. There's two defenders back there. But I think Matthew now feels some of the pressure that maybe Baker Mayfield felt of, hey, we got to get this guy involved or he's in the game right now because he's going to take the deep route and I've got to find a way to get the ball in the hands because that's when he's playing the play. It's not good and it's not good playing quarterback when you feel pressure to get the ball to one particular play. It doesn't work, Michael Irvin. So I don't know. Maybe they can pull themselves out of it and get going. Um, but that was my breakdown last night. Um, and and then Jay Moore responds and goes, laughing laughing out loud it's one game after like two two days of practice rams also um wet the bed week nine and they lost robert woods who was a glue guy in every phase of the offense this is such a reach for a narrative and then he's like odell ran 11 routes i don't know maybe they're struggling because they have some guy named ben skoranek getting serious run and if you don't know ben skoranek from notre dame he's a big tall kind of athletic guy who's probably more of you know he can run double moves to get open maybe um you know and he can make some contested catches but he's he's kind of a gangly athlete for a big dude at wide receiver he's not going to be running the routes that replace the guys that they've lost so i guess my question here after hearing all that is what are your thoughts on Aikman's view? What are your thoughts on Jay's view? What are your thoughts on the Rams and what happened last night? And is it Odell's fault for disrupting the chemistry of the team? <laughs> it's it's Odell's fault for disrupting the chemistry of the team as much as it is my fault that the Cleveland Browns lost on Sunday. As in, it's absolutely no fault of his at all. I mean, what his first practice was probably what? Friday? Yeah. And, and what have we talked so much about practice game plans probably installed for the most part they probably had a package of like five plays that odell was ready to run they ran a handful of them. like did stafford throw an interception target on odell yeah was that on odell no he threw it into double coverage for whatever reason the, the, I, I think the larger point here is robert woods was like you say a glue guy not just in the pass game but in the run game you yeah. know you he was a. Uh, He's a focal point of a lot of their run block and design. And, you know, the McVay-Shanahan tree, for all the credit and kudos they get and all the genius tags that are put on them for their pass game stuff, their run game stuff is just as creative in my mind. Woods was a big part of that. And Wodell, he's a very willing blocker. He has been throughout his time in, his, in the league, down at LSU. I remember some times, you know, with the Giants, even with the Browns, like he's sprinting some stuff downfield working on – throws that were made to the other side of the field. Like he'll get there. He can be that guy, but it's not going to happen overnight. And you know, this idea that he's the reason they lost after they, like Jake pointed out, lost to the Titans two weeks ago. I think that's well off the mark. Yeah. And it's interesting because one of the reports I read, I read was before Odell signed, they, he was talking with one of the players and they, they got on FaceTime and it was Robert Woods and Cooper Cup in the in the in the wide receiver room and they the guy asked I don't remember I think it was maybe Stafford but asked asked Odell or had them ask, ask those two receivers 
should Odell come here? And they were like, yes, like come yeah. here, you know? Yeah. So who's the click? Who's not playing? Who's not getting playing time? Ben Skoranek? Does he have a real voice in the wide receiver room? Does Tutu Atwell have a real voice in the wide receiver room? Tyler Higby, you think he's going to be mad about about what's going on? No, they're going to rely on him a little bit more right now with Robert Woods out anyway. Um, you know, so who is it? You, you know, is it? It's not a starter. You know, and you know, so if that happens in the locker room, I mean, you basically tell them to shut up. I mean, yep. it's you know until you've actually made a meaningful inroads in the depth chart before this happened and you haven't then shut up because you don't know your lane you don't know your role you know yeah. and and even like friends of that person would say that you know if right. they if they're a starter and have a clue you know yeah. so yeah let's you know i don't know what it was like and you know back in the mean girls territory of you know frisco texas where the dallas cowboys played in the 90s but right. i you know i i think that things have changed a little bit or maybe you know this is just a little bit fox tv kind of this is what we want you to do part of your quota for what you know what you do on social well, again media. it's it's similar to the teddy discussion this is a fantastic topic for tuesday and wednesday right yeah. it, it's it's easy it's surface level, it's soap opera-ish in a way that everybody can have an opinion on, you know, and I, this is the kind of stuff that drives me nuts. This, yeah. is, this is the kind of, I say it on my podcast all the time, like, unless it happens between the lines, I honestly, you're Don't not going to hear me shit. talk about it. Yeah. There, there are places you could go, if that's what you want to talk about, that's what you want to listen to, if that's what you want to think about, there are hundreds of places you can go, but I just... Well, good, because guess what? We've reached what? our quota for the season. We're done. We're no, done. More. No, no, no more. No more of this BS. No more of this BS. Okay. So, college prospects. Who have you seen? Who, Trey, McBride. Trey McBride. Trey McBride. Tell me about am, Trey McBride, buddy. I am all aboard the Trey McBride t tight end one train, I think. I don't know. I haven't watched them all yet. I've got... I, I've got a long list of guys that I want to watch, but Trey McBride, and, and you and I talked about him after last week's show. Um, I don't know if you got a chance to watch him. I since did. Then. Okay. Um, I don't know what games you watched or what you watched, but he had a play. It was, I, I wish I remember. It was, it, I thought it was the New Mexico game, but it was a play in one of his earlier games of the season where he just caught this in break and route, got guy tried to go low on him. He stumbled through that gets himself back upright and goes downfield for another 30 yard gain. And I'm watching that live. I'm seeing the contact balance. I'm seeing him absorb that hit. I'm seeing him wildly run with all this upper body movement, kind of wild and out of control. That's Rob Gronkowski. That is Rob Gronkowski right there. Now I am not making a Rob Gronkowski comparison, but on that play as somebody that has that Patriots banner over my shoulder, who's seen a lot of Rob Gronkowski in his days. That's what he looked like to me. Um, but the New Mexico game, like he had this long catch and run where he's working against a corner. And if you're wearing number 96 as a cornerback and, you know, at any <laughs> level of football, it's probably a mismatch, even if it's a tight end. Um, but he just runs away from this guy. He had another catch in that game on an out route where it's a low throw. And for a big guy to make the adjustment to catch it, it's impressive. But not only does he make the adjustment, he then cr catches, cradles, turns upfield before the sideline, gets more yardage, gets down. I don't think he scored in that play, but got pretty close. He's incredible to watch. And, you know, his his coach, Adazio, who's, 
used to be the guy at BC, has said he's the best tight end in the nation. I think he's got a case. Now, does he become tight end one? Does he go off the board, you know, as the first tight end? That remains to be seen. Testing and stuff will probably play a role, but man, he's fun. Yeah, he was fun to watch. I watched him at, against Iowa. Um, yeah, you know, that was a good one too. And, you know, he had a nice game there too. You know, he's someone that they use him a lot on delayed releases um, where they use him as a starting point as a blocker because he's not a bad blocker. Um, yeah. I think that he shows some... He shows some skill there. I mean, I think he transitions well from receiver to blocker in the open field. That's where I think he's very good. Um, yeah. And he looks he looks for someone to block. Um, I think, you know, he he doesn't overextend as a blocker, which is very important. That means that he can he he's someone that's going to be able to get a push on you without getting ripped and thrown aside quickly. Um, and he moves quick enough laterally that he's in front of a, a defender he can work a half gap over so on a lot of run plays he can reach block for you um and his feet are generally stable he can get some wide steps and get caught off balance with his steps and his footwork a little bit um and when he doesn't have his head down he's going to move smaller defenders and edge defenders off his spot so i yeah. I, I like a lot of what he does there as a receiver you know, he has he showed some nice boundary work, so I like the technique there with what he did there. Um, you know, he he certainly understands how to pluck the ball, and he showed some of that flexibility you like, where if the ball's below the knees, he can kind of pluck the ball on yeah. the move and continue down there, and he secures the ball pretty well. So I like his adjust the way he adjusts his body. He has that feel. I don't think, like you said, he's not a Rob Gronkowski athlete, so that running with abandon that he has maybe a little more running out of control. That is, yeah, I mean, you know, he's one of these big guys that likes to try the hurdle, which it, it, it's fun. It, yeah. It's nice when you see a big guy try it, but more often than not, you're going to end up getting yourself hurt. And, you know, you're trying that in the NFL, but yeah, he's yeah. no, he's no Ben troop though. I don't know if Ben, right. but then again, hopefully he, he is no Ben troop in a good way too. Um, yeah. You know, from that perspective, but, but, yeah, McBride was certainly fun to watch. I watched some Charlie Kolar as well this weekend um, yeah. and certainly liked a lot of what I saw there too. But I think you may have brought him up, or maybe it was Chad Ryder. Chad and I were talking a little bit, and there's that Mark Andrews kind of vibe with him where it's kind of yeah. like he's not, he's not an excellent athlete in terms of running, but he gets into the right spots. He makes plays on the ball well. Um, you know, he's a good H-back type of blocker who, with the right fit, could be a very productive receiver in a passing game. Though I don't think he's quite as, um, I don't think he's quite the athlete that Mark Andrews is. Yeah. And so, you know, that was an interesting one. And I also watched Xavier Hutchinson. Um, oh. uh, and Hutchinson's a, you know, he's a 6'3", 210 wide receiver out of Iowa State. And I... You know, looking at him, I, I certainly think he showed some footwork that you like, you know, to be able to get off of um, off of press coverage. And there's some suddenness to his game with that that I liked for his size. Um, and he shows some vertical speed. You can get one or two steps on a cornerback playing man-to-man -man coverage tight for him. And he shows some ability to sell on routes. Um, you, you know, I... And the break steps, like he needs to get a little better with some of his break steps, but there's some of that still there. He, I think his zone routes are some things there with ability to identify second level people. There wasn't anything that I saw that made me like really, where really he didn't really pop off the screen for me. Not like last year's class, 
you know, um, but I think that he's someone that can be an effective contributor for a team. Um, maybe more, I've got more to watch with him, but nothing right off the bat just said, screamed, you know, this is, this is anybody remotely like the last two classes that we saw. Right. Have you watched um, the Boise State kid? Yes, Khalif. Yeah. Yes, I actually like him. Um, yeah, I like him too because I started dipping into wide receivers this weekend and I studied him and I Khalil like Shakir. Him. Yeah. That's it. Khalil Shakir. Yeah. yeah, very he's got a little bit of that um he's got a little bit of that Paul Richardson suddenness to him. Yeah. And and he is very quick and fast. So yeah, I like his and the way he uses pacing to set up man to man coverage. He's a he's a fun player as, as long as he shows that he's bigger than and and sturdier yeah because he does seem small yeah because he's listed at 190 if he's true 190 that's okay but if he's like 178 is really 168 or something yeah yeah then we're in trouble um but he has that you know there's some deont there's some of that mix of richardson and deontay johnson kind of going on with his game that that is intriguing for sure and that's another one is like i i all I know is that if scouts go to watching games from video like we like we do, and that's what they're doing more often, there's going to be a lobby to like get that blue turf taken out of Boise State because man, talk about an eccentric head eccentric headache waiting to happen. I I can't. I I like watching the team, but whenever they play at home on that blue turf and they play they use the blue unis, man, I know I'm going to have a headache after I watch it. Yeah, I don't I, get I, headaches. My son got his first exposure this weekend because they were one of their games was on. We were watching for a little bit. He's like, "Why is this field blue? This is dumb." <laughs> like, yeah, I'm with you, buddy. I yeah. got it, Owen. Yeah. Well, now that you're now that we know that your son has passed the common sense test, we know that he is on his way to eventually learning how to drive. At least, you know. Also, look, shout out to Owen. Today is uh, Team Spirit Day. They're having a little Spirit Week at school, and it's Team Jersey Day. And Owen is wearing a quarterback jersey today. Ah, uh, see, you must Lamar be proud. Jackson. Lamar, Lamar Jackson. See, there you go. Good taste, too. See? Yeah. See, I like this. I like this. So, um, Cordero Patterson's injury, does it derail the Falcons' offense inalterably while he's gone? I think so. Yeah. I, I, I think he's just such a, a matchup weapon for them. It, it, we, we, we've talked about this. I talked about this with Doug Farrar as well. I wrote about it last week. Um you know, how do you treat him and Pitts? Do you treat him as tight end, running back, tight end, wide receiver, 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 running back, like forces defense to make a lot of decisions. Now you don't have that. And you know what Bill Belichick is now going to do Thursday night when the Patriots in Atlanta play. You are going to see the Tony Gonzalez game play. You're going yes. to see the, the Travis Kelsey game play. Belichick, one of the first things he said after that game Sunday was Kyle Pitts is a one of a kind. He's a generational talent. Like forget the Browns. He was already on to Atlanta. He was talking about <laughs> Kyle Pitts. You were going to see like, if you want to get a preview of it, go back the first time Mahomes started against the Patriots. It was like week six in that yeah. 2018 season. And they would have Dante Hightower walk out. So if they put Kelsey in the slot, Hightower would walk out there just to chip him. And then there was the interception that Mahomes threw before halftime. It was a red zone play. Hightower goes out, chips him, and then they've got the two-man bracket on him as well. You should basically get three guys handling Travis Kelsey on a play. 
and the Patriots got an interception from Butler in the end zone. Um, no, it wasn't Butler. It was it was Deron Harmon who got the interception. That's what you're going to see Thursday night, and teams are going to emulate that. You're going to like chip, you know, jam, not give him a free release, bracket him, true double him. You know, that they might go one double eight. You know, the one double the number eight jersey. That's what Belichick teams is true cover one, double cover a player coverage. You know, there's that great clip of a pregame. Um, during a, a preseason game where Chad Johnson with the Bengals and Belichick were talking and Belichick's like one double 85. That's what we're doing all day. We're not going to let you see the ball. It was just a preseason game. Um, you might see that as well. And so that's the problem now is because, you know, what are you going to do? Where are you going to look elsewhere now? If, if you're Matt Ryan, you don't have that other matchup weapon. So yeah, I think it's a big problem for them starting Thursday night. Yeah, I think I totally for the same reasons because they don't have another receiver of value who does everything well enough that you that they're not just schemed plays. You know, right. they're scheme players and matchup players. And I think most of your decent starters are matchup players. You can win one-on-one against almost everybody in the league at one point or another. And right. they, you run scheme plays for them that are set plays that are designed to get them open. But you can't do that only so many times before the team recognize the opponent recognizes what that scheme play is and stops it. You know, and I think that that's what you have here is that, you know, Justin Gage, Chris, Christian Blake, you, you know, Olamide Zacchaeus, who may be their close, their best receiver of the bunch, who can give you a little bit more of everything, but still isn't quite at matchup player um, value. That's right. all they've got. I mean, Hayden Hurst, you know, Hayden Hurst is the guy that I would imagine Matt Ryan's going to be going to a lot in this game. And that's who the Patriots will be giving, you know, or yep. quote unquote giving, you know, right. they will be the one that will have the one on one. And he's going to be sure. The- I'm sure Stephen Bill Belichick are telling that defense right now. Look, if Matt Ryan beats us thrown to Hayden Hurst, like we'll take that. Yes, yeah, we'll, we'll take that. But we're not going to let Matt Ryan beat us thrown to Kyle Pitts. Exactly. And so, you know, that's going to be that and check downs to Mike Davis and and. And Wayne, you know, and Gallman, Wayne Gallman. So, I mean, it's a, this defense, this offense is completely derailed at this point, you know, for the reasons that you mentioned. Absolutely. So who's an unknown NFL commodity you think has a chance to become more well-known by year's end? Juwan Bentley, linebacker, New England Patriots. Uh He's slowly becoming one of my favorite players to watch. And a lot of the reason why he's a relative unknown is so much of what he does shows up against the run. Um, You you saw it Sunday. I've been seeing this throughout the season, but. His quick trigger, his ability to diagnose, his ability to read out run plays, to get himself not just into the fit, but explode through the fit, and to get some run plays stopped before they get going has been incredible. And and a lot of the Patriots' success in recent weeks on the defensive side of the ball, yes, it's been due in part by playing guys like, you know, Baker Mayfield last week who, who sort of struggled. And, you know, some of the other wins that they've got, Sam Darnold who threw three interceptions, one of them a pick six. But you also look at what they did against teams like the Chargers. You look at what they did against Dak Prescott. You look at what they did against Tom Brady even. They're getting success up front. They're becoming more of a zone coverage team. I think in recent weeks it's been like 60, 80, and 70% in the past three weeks zone coverage stuff. 23 of their 33 pass coverage snaps this past week were in zone coverage. They're getting good play up front from Barmore, uh, Dante Hightower back has been a huge part. Kyle Van Noy, they're using him as a pass rusher. Matthew Judon has been huge. But Bentley is sort of that, like, glue guy for them where yeah. 
you know, all those other guys contribute in a lot of different ways. He's their guy that look, if it's third and four and they hand it off, he's going to be in the hole, you know, and more often than not, he's going to win in the hole. And uh, people are going to start talking about him more because of what he's meant for this defense. It's funny. I had Juwan Bentley on an IDP league fantasy team that I'm in with Ryan Riddle and, um, and, um, God, Kyle Posey and a bunch of yeah. other people. And it's a, a league where you can only have the player on your team for the first four years of their career. Um, oh, no. And then, so it's a Debbie league. So I had Bentley at linebacker for last year and he was helpful, you know, yeah. he was a helpful player. And so, and I've gotten a chance to watch him. So I totally get where you're coming from with him. Um, yeah. For me, I'm going to say if he can get back to health and it's not a serious, not serious. And the Lions said it wasn't serious. It's Jamar Jefferson, the running back out of the out of the Oregon State. This guy, I think, is a very good outside zone runner. He's someone that has burst. He's got he's a 215-pound back who he's got some good size to him. I actually think there are certain types of looks with him, like outside zone and some inside stuff, where he's a little better runner than DeAndre Swift. Um, and and I, when they drafted him, I thought, well, this is going to be one of those deals where either if Jefferson plays to his capability, either Jamal Williams is going to be a short-term guy or DeAndre Swift is going to be a short-term guy, you know, yeah. one or the other. And I think we're going to see that as good as Jamal Williams can be as a, as a glue guy, as, a, as someone who can do a little bit of everything for you, I think Jamar Jefferson might have a chance to threaten that. And with, and with um, Williams out for a bit and Jefferson's not having a serious um, and that ankle isn't that serious. I think we're going to see him this year um, stack up some yardage and some plays that people are going to go, wow. Okay. They have something here in this third yeah. back, you know, even though you could look at the former safety, I can't pronounce his name. Um, who? Oh yeah. The guy that had the long touchdown. Who had the long touchdown run. But, you know, again, I think there's a difference between the two backs, and I think Jamar Jefferson's the guy you really want to keep tabs on long-term. Yeah, Godwin. Yes. Yeah. That's it. Thank you. So, um, what's the who are the candidates for the weirdest fan base? Every NFL team fan base is weird. Like, every yeah. single yeah. fan base is weird. I mean, some that I've come across, Jacksonville Jaguars Twitter right now, I love them. But they're tearing themselves apart over Trevor Lawrence right now. That's been sort of weird to watch over the past couple of weeks. Um, you and I have both had some run-ins with Brown's Twitter um, that have been pleasant and enjoyable all the time. <laughs> um, Patriots Twitter is weird. I mean, I, I, I do these these weekly breakdowns of Mac Jones that end up on YouTube and over at Pat's Pulpit, and many of the comments are just ridiculing me for the fact that I prefer Justin Fields pre-draft. And it's like... Okay, I mean, but now we got Mac Jones and he's playing great. Like, and that's what I'm trying to show you. Um, that there's a very much a we are now going to go to the mattresses for this guy, no matter what um, relationship developing with Mac Jones, which is weird. Um, I, I think my, my favorite might be Eagles Twitter, just because <laughs> they're, you know, they're, they're very sort of hardened. Um, they've seen it all. They've been through it all. You know, now that the team has won a Super Bowl, like, like they, they can be sort of um, self-reflective at times, which I appreciate. But, I mean, every NFL fan base is is, is strange. Also, Bill's Twitter. I like Bill's Twitter a lot. Yeah. Uh, Bill's Twitter is fun because, you know, they seem to appreciate things. Obviously, they're always talking about wings, which is cool. 
that they've welcomed me in, which is nice as a dirty, filthy Patriots fan that they still <laughs> tolerate me, which I appreciate. But, you know, Bill's, Bill's Twitter of, of non-Patriots fan bases, Bill's Twitter might be my favorite. I like Bill's Twitter. I totally like the Bill's fan base from what I've seen as well. They're a pleasant right. bunch. They really are. Right. Like they're crazy at times, like a lot of fan bases, but they're but there's something about them that is just fun. And yeah. you get the vibe that they're not like Cleveland's crazy, but there's a negative vibe like underlying yeah. that. There's like this negativity that underlies the Browns. It's like this jangling nerve thing. Whereas, right. And Baltimore is kind of related to Cleveland in that sense. Same with their teams, but their fan base is similar. But there's a little bit more. It's just split. There's a little split personality. It comes down to fans who are st still hate Lamar and everyone else who's accepted that Lamar Jackson is one of the better quarterbacks in the league. I mean, yeah. so it's like it, that's a weird kind of thing with them. But I but I like I like the Baltimore fan base. I'm a, I'm a fan of their fan base. The one that's just weirded me out the most, I guess, is the Minnesota fan base. Like, they are, they're like this positive, you know, it's like, it's like the, it's like where the, the region, like very positive, very friendly, that Midwestern kind of thing going on. But there's like this darkness underneath that, yeah. like, you're like, you see the darkness every once in a while, but it's mad, it's covered by like the friendly veneer. And you're like, I haven't seen the crazy yet, but I don't know if I ever want to. I mean, you know? I, I think a great way to sum up Vikings Twitter is is Arif Hassan. I mean, that that's Arif Hassan in a nutshell. Like, like there's, you know, this this darkness below the surface. I mean, Arif can be incredibly friendly online and in Twitter, but then you know he'll send you a DM where he talks about like snuffing the life out of you at the bottom of the Mariana's trench. And you, you know he's joking, but there's that like one percent where it's like, wait, yeah. is there a seriousness to this? Yeah. Um, I mean, Arif's one of my favorite people on the planet, but he's Vikings Twitter. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've had like I've shown an, I've shown a number of plays from the Vikings Chargers game on Twitter. Yeah. And like the way they've all set up camp on my TL and are having a conversation, like if it were Browns fans, they would be ripping each other apart over Baker Mayfield and cursing each other out and saying all sorts of things like, I hope you get type two diabetes and all right. sorts of crazy things like that. And then like this one, they're having like conversations and you'll hear things like, yeah, that was stupid or this was that or the other, but it's like so calm by comparison. I'm literally watching my TL get hijacked by Vikings fans, but it's like being at like, I mean, I you know, it's cliche to say it's like being listening to like Prairie Home Companion at the bar right. after the well, after I mean, the show, but that's kind of how it feels. It's the Minnesota nice phrase, right? Yeah. Like, like they're, they're all very nice outwardly, but there's that like little 1% where it's like, hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm still, yeah, yeah. So it's, the, you just get that feeling about them. So yeah, I kind yeah. of enjoy that, but you know, moving on, you know, speaking of plays, I one of my favorite plays of the week and the one that I drew that I that I profiled was an Alexander Madison screen pass where he caught the screen pass inside their own 10 and took it about 25, 30 yards. And just it was such a treatise on how a running back uses his footwork to work through lower leg wraps and how he uses his hands to 
as a with stiff arms. So if you want to look at stiff arms and running through tackles and keeping a base to be able to change direction through all that, he weaves through that Chargers defense. I mean, he breaks it. He breaks three tackles, I think, on that play, and stiff arms two defenders as well. Um, in addition to spinning away from two defenders and and weaving around a couple more. So I mean, he he works through half that defense at least on that yeah. play. It's a fantastic play, and it was one of my favorite of the week. Um, what was your favorite play of the week for any reason? You know, um, I'm I'm gonna kind of cheat here. San Francisco's open and drive Monday night, 18 plays, 93 yards, 11 minutes and three seconds off the clock, finishes with a touchdown. I actually broke the entire thing down. It's on my YouTube channel right now. It's like a 25 minute video where I walk through like literally every play. But like Shanahan's run scheme elements are just like the first two plays were tosses to the right off of jet motion. It was the same exact play both times. It was the same exact play both times, but first it was Mitchell, then it was Debo um, carrying the ball. But on each of those, you get the tight end and the jet motion into a double on the edge defender. And then you get some doubles on the inside as well. They had another play, and the Rams actually fit this one up pretty well. They stopped it for no gain, but you had a jet motion and the tight end with a slice block. Actually, no, it was the tight end in jet motion, and then it was juice check from an offset eye fullback alignment coming across on the slice block. So you're creating, you know, three extra gaps with both of those players. The the, the you know Rams did a pretty good job fitting that up, but that entire drive, Matt was fascinating from a schematic perspective, like the way he was using motion and, and slice blocks and so many different ways to create extra gaps, to make you account for those in the run fit, you know, particularly in this age of playing too high, how are you going to fit stuff up? Well, if the gaps are static, you can do it. But then if you're creating extra gaps front side as a result of jet or slice or whatever, then it's a little bit tougher. And so that was fun to watch play out. And then look, the, the touchdown throw, you know, nice little concept. You've got one receiver, um, from the slot on the left, and then Kiddo's running sort of a corner route from the inside alignment to trips, and you can just move the safety. That entire drive just was just fascinating to watch unfold. Yeah, and watching their run game is fantastic. Uh, they have beautiful designs and execution yeah. with their run game. It's, it's, a, it's one of the best run games in football to watch without a doubt. Speaking of which, it's funny because I, uh, I had a scout and – and then later a consultant for a lot of football teams in the league write me last night. I hadn't watched the game yet. I had just finished finished my, my Monday column and I was taking a break. And I come back online and I see on Twitter, he goes, I realize the sample size is small and I'm preaching to the choir, but I don't understand Eli Mitchell in San Francisco. He's very linear. He's limited lateral agility and unimpressive vision. I love that they're using Samuel, Samuel as a running back tonight, though. Um, and it was, you know, it was just interesting to hear that because he obviously had seen some of the stuff that I had done writing up the two players. And Mitchell is, is good enough for what they're doing. It's not like he's a bad running back, but I think the point was relative to what else they could have. It's fascinating that they that they're using yeah, I mean, with the speed. Of the I kind of talked about on the video, like Mitchell had some runs where it was, you know, one cut get skinny through a hole, and he can give you that, and you can kind of see why Shanahan appreciates that. But I do think that there is the bigger argument of okay, that's good. It's like the running back version of guys you win with versus guys you win because of. Like yeah. he can be a functional back in their system 
rotational back in their system. And obviously using Samuel as a back, I think is almost like a cheat code. It could be more with a Trey Sermon. Yeah. Yeah, but he's, that's his system, and that's what he yep. wants, and he's, he's and that rolling gets to with the it. fascinating discussion. You know, Ben Solak wrote about this last week, and others have talked about it. Like Shanahan, the GM, or Shanahan, the player identifier role guy, yeah. versus Shanahan, the coach. Yeah, Shanahan, to me, Shanahan would be the sous chef where I'd go shut up about complaining about the knot on the carrot and peel right. it and cook it up and get rid of whatever it is you don't like, but don't get rid of the whole carrot, okay? If I see you throwing away boxes of carrots, I'm just putting you out on the street. I don't care how good of a sous chef you are, you know? (laughs) So, but, you know, there's a reason that's why you are. So then moving on. um, All right, so when you were beginning your career journey, you know, whose criticism was valuable to your growth? I, you know, for me, it was... Um, Chris Brown at Smart Football. When I first started going online and sharing a lot of my work that was less fantasy and more just straight up football and using video and breaking down things, Chris Brown gave some invaluable advice to me. And, he, and it was framed in ways, it was just little criti- critiques offline about like, you know, this is actually, you know, things like basic things. This is called a speed break. You might want to look this up, what you're looking at here, how you're referring to what this is. Or this, you know, or pointing me in a direction to learn more. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was in a very friendly manner and just kind of like pointing me there to say this is the correct thing rather than just blasting me about not knowing something, you know. And And when he pointed something out, it was usually couched in a like, I like what you did with this and this was a really good point. But, you know, what you're showing here is, you know, is inaccurate. Here's where you can learn more about it. And that really, that really helped me, you know, in terms of how I continue to grow moving forward. Who is someone like that for you with your career journey? You. (laughs) Really? Seriously. You probably don't remember this. When I wrote that book, 17 Drives. I sent copies of it to a bunch of different people, a bunch of different people. And everybody got back to me like, man, this is fantastic. This is so interesting. Like, this is so cool. And you wrote back to me and you were basically like, why should I care? Why should I care about these drives that you wrote about? Like this chapter here, why does it matter? You you wrote, like, I put together, there was a, a Paxton Lynch Memphis drive. And I picked it because it kind of put Paxton Lynch, it was a Thursday night game. It put him on everybody's map, you know, from a draft perspective, because it was Thursday night, everybody was watching it. You were like, that chapter, it's great. You gave us the bigger context. You gave us the bigger reason as to why this particular drive matters. But in the other chapters, uh, except for like, you know, the playoff games where it's like, yeah, it's a playoff game, it matters. Why should I care about this drive? And it was that message of the deeper context with what we do, right? Because, you know, you can, I can break down a drive, I can break down a play, I can break down a quarterback, whatever. But why should the reader care? And I think that message is something that has stuck with me the entirety of my run since then. Because that was really early in my career. And it was one of those moments where, like, so many people are saying, this is fantastic. You wrote a whole book. This is amazing. And you were like, yeah, you wrote a book. But why do people want to read it? And, and that message of when you sit down to create something, whether it's an article, a podcast, a, a video, whatever, remember that you have to sell this in a sense. You have to convince people to stop what they're doing, whether it's at work, at home, on a weekend, whatever, take 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes out of their lives and consume this. Why should they want to do it? So that deeper context of this is a, I'm, I'm 
putting this together and here's why it's important matters so much because you could put together a brilliant breakdown of a creative blitz or sack and if it means nothing in the greater scheme of things then why are people going to read it so that's the message from you that has stuck with me ever since Wow, I'm, you know, I remember it now, but I would never remember that. But, wow, that's yeah. cool. Well, you certainly have taken it and run with it from, you know, at this point, that's for sure. Um, you know, with it the, was with such a huge lesson for me. Yeah, wow. because I, I literally would times sit down and think like, well, if I'm going to write this, people will think it's important. But that was such a wrong headed way of looking at it. And so now, like, I, I try to find a way to, like, work into everything I do. Like, this is why this matters. Yeah. You know? Yeah, well, it's shown. That's for sure. That's for sure. So, any, any, so we have any off the rails questions here from, from, from you here? Here's one from me, as it is the season. Where are you on Turkey? Okay, <laughs> I have this debate with people all the time, and okay. and I am a very much a pro Turkey person. Okay, I, I I know it's a it's a process to roast a turkey on Thanksgiving Day or really anytime um it's a process you know i do it the martha way you know you're basting it every 30 minutes you know you've got to rinse it in the morning you've got to get yourself up at the crack of dawn to like make sure it's like come to room temperature you've got to rub the butter under i know it's a process but i love turkey and i know there are people that say look the fact that you have to base this thing every 30 minutes you have to go through all of this just to make it edible means a turkey is bad so I am very much in the pro-Turkey camp, but I want to know where you stand on Turkey. I'm pro-Turkey uh, overall. I am definitely okay. pro-Turkey overall, but I'm not like, I'm not um, rigid about it. I'll put it that okay. way. So for okay. instance, and, and I'm, I obviously, I'm the one who cooks because, you know, my wife actually had like a Queen's Day for her and her friends and like, and she, I came downstairs on a Saturday morning and she had made brunch and had bought a bunch of like, plate you know warmers and things and and like i was i was superbly impressed because a she didn't wake me up at the crack of dawn when i had gone to bed like at four or five in the morning um so that meant that things nothing caught on fire um that she didn't burn any pots that right. the smoke alarms didn't go off um you know and I, all i needed to do was go to the grocery store to get something that wasn't integral to her um having a successful hostessing you know, gig. so I was really proud of her for that because, you know, uh, when you, you know, she comes, she part of her family lives out in the country in a, a little area called Moxville, North Carolina, which isn't far from Winston-Salem. And her granddaddy worked in a sawmill for most of his life. OK. And he met me at the carport when we got when we when we pulled up and the first thing out of his mouth was. You know she can't cook, right? <laughs> and he was serious, okay? Because wow. he was serious. So I'm going to tell you a story about this. Will give you a sense of Alicia's family a little bit. This is a great story. Um, she she jokes that they are black rednecks. That's kind of her joke, you know. Some of okay. her family, um, but they are, you know, one her his, her she grew up with with her grandparents for a lot of it because her father was an undercover detective, and you know we've talked about that. So she. Uh, you know the the grandmother was a social worker so she always had all the the troubled kids and and she was kind of like my my wife said like if medea wasn't a stereotypical like one-dimensional character my grandmother has a lot of medea in her in wow. the way you know so 
Um, and I can see it. Like I totally get where she's coming from. But so, it, you know, one, one, they were old fashioned. So, and they lived kind of out, out there. So when, when it was time for, you know, my w wife and her sisters to date, they always had made sure that they had like a sitting in the parlor date before there was a car date. So it wasn't okay. like, you know, us, we're probably like you, you go and pick up, you know, yep. you go and pick up your, your date at, at your parents knock on the door that you have a, right. a conversation or in some homes you just honk the horn and they come out and, and that's how it is. So, you know, th that difference is integral to the story because, you know, usually have the, she had the sitting date with a guy that she liked and then that was okay that he could like take her out and have a car date where they go out somewhere. So he pulls up and he makes the grand mistake. He honks the horn oh. to, to pick her up. And my wife, you know, I don't know how old she was, probably like 15, like, like goes to get up in the living room and her granddad goes, oh no, no, you sit right there. And he gets up out of his, his, his chair goes into his room brings comes out with the shotgun literally oh comes out onto the property now he ha they have acres of property okay that they that he lived on so he comes out and on the deck of his house and fires two shots over the car um, oh my god yeah the the guy gets back into the car and just drives off of course my wife is like what are you doing you know and he's like you scared him he goes he goes ain't no man coming up here who's gonna like you know um you know think this is a whole house you know he just honk the horn like this you know my wife had to like call him back up and have him come back out he wouldn't get out of his car at first because he was so scared you know and have the granddad talk with him and just explain to him what he did wrong and why you know what they did and they ended up going out but that was the last time they went out too yeah. but yeah that and the and i guess i would tell you about the i'd tell you about the 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 bass that uh that she has an uncle who who has like adopted kids and has a bunch of kids who looks exactly like Snoop Dogg. I kid you not. He looks really? exactly like Snoop Dogg. And he took his kid fishing his kids fishing one day and they caught a bass. And my wife came to visit him and she walks into the, the living room and literally I kid you not, in a, in a fish tank that's about three quarters full is a lake bass sitting in there <laughs> she's looking like bewildered at the bass at the bass she's like if the bass if i could tell anything about a bass it looked bewildered at me and yeah. like she's like what on earth and he's like well the kids the kids wanted a pet and they they wanted a fish they wanted <laughs> as if we could take them home so i thought why not you know and you know and i'm just like wow yeah so so that's that's her family but from a turkey perspective um I've roasted them, I've fried them, I've spatchcocked them and cooked them and roasted them that way, which I tend to do now because, yeah. you know, the presentation for us isn't a big deal anymore. It's just like, is it good? And spatchcocking, it cooks it quickly. It's juicy. Yeah. I can still yeah. get stuff done the night before for, for my job and not feel like that I have to take, you know, two nights off to do it. So it's, right. so that's been helpful. What's the kind of, that's, what's the technique that you slow cook it in oil? Um, on, it's a French way of doing it, but you put it in a big roasting pan, fill it with a ton of oil 
and just submerge it in oil and slow cook it. I've done it that way, um, which is pretty good. I can't remember the term because I've got like Jamar Jefferson in my head, now. you know. Yeah. And so when I start getting players in my head, I can't remember like, right. you know, common human, normal human things that people people normally do. So I've done it all sorts of ways. This year, we were going to actually um, get one from a restaurant that's local here, like this Italian yeah. deli I talked about they used to do, but they're yeah. not doing it this year. So I don't know what I'm cooking this year. I, I honestly, it may, I may end up just be doing a chicken and, uh, and some other things. And I'm actually, um, I've actually decided finally, you know, after messing around for a while that I'm going to go back to doing a vegan thing on a regular basis. Okay. So I've, so like, I just, I, I'm actually, you know, I've actually made a cauliflower, like a cauliflower steak with chimmy. I put in air quotes, uh, cauliflower steak, yeah. steak with like chimichurri sauce. That was actually quite nice and gives yeah. you that feeling of, of a steak other than the fact that you don't like um, get the itis after you eat it. Um, so, right. you know, so I was, I kind of enjoyed that. Um, so I may be doing different things like that. And we're having a guest over who's just like pretty easy going. So I well, think, that helps. yeah, so we'll, we'll figure it out, but yeah, yeah, I love Turkey and I love the, you know, I love leftovers and, you know, and you can't have, you know, Turkey, you got to have stuffing. So, I mean, like for me, See, stuffing or dressing, however you look we, at it, I like we stuffing. We make two. We make two. Your, your sister's version, your sister's family's version. Yeah. My, family. my wife, my wife's family. Your wife's family's, yeah. Yeah. And my and really, I'm the only one that eats ours. Like everybody prefers Rochelle's side of the family stuff because it's got like raisins and water chestnuts. Mine is the the North End, you know, Italian sausage stuff, in which I just make that. I well, before just come, just just eat. just send some of that down here because my wife would love that. She loves she loves the stuff and I make, which has the raisins and has the has the walnuts and different vegetables and yeah. and I do I do that up, but she. But trust me, I mentioned that last time I mean, when we were talking about stuffing, and she just was like, "Oh yeah, that that's gotta be good." Because we were, she likes my cooking, but I laughed because I was talking about I was talking about you the other day about the show, and and something the fact that I said, "Oh, if you think I can cook, I have a feeling Mark can cook. Like Mark can really cook." And I said, "Now, now, if you want to, if I think though, if you had married someone who cooked like Mark, we'd probably both be dead by like." You know, in, in so like just, in less than a decade. Just tells me I need to I need to do different stuff in the kitchen. Yeah. So, so yeah. there you go. But but listen, you know, he certainly burns here on the football side of things for sure. Um, and and you know, we love Mark Schofield and and the work that he does. You can find him, you know, at Mark Schofield. You can find him with Rachel Prevett on the on the Bleeding Green podcast. Scos throws, which is you know building some momentum on Twitter, which is really nice to see in terms of the, the views that it's getting, you know, it's fine breakdowns, you know, you get to see a lot more of it on his YouTube channel. Um, and of course, TD wire, you know, the fine work that he does with Doug Farrar and, you know, excellent, excellent people there. Lori Fitzpatrick. Yeah. You know, Lori's so, awesome. yeah so, you know, and by, the by, by the RSP, by the RSP, I forgot to RSP. do it this year. Yes. Get the RSP. You will, you won't regret it. I'm telling you it's a, I'll, we'll talk more about it as the draft season goes on, gets underway. Um, but it is the most comprehensive look at skilled position prospects that you're going to find anywhere. And I'm going to say this because I'm going to talk a little trash to Dane Brugler. And I say this with okay. the greatest amount of respect because Dane is fantastic. He's a leading figure in this industry. I like the work that he does. He calls his work the beast. 
I'll just say this. His beast, if you've seen the Meg, his beast is the first shark. And when it comes to the level, of the the amount of content that's put on, I'm not talking about the quality. Mark, you know, Dane does fine quality of content. So I'm just half joking because when I saw him call it the beast, I did kind of chuckle because if you see the RSP, you understand that it's like looking at it's like looking at a large gorilla and then suddenly King Kong, you start hearing King Kong coming out of the woods um, yep. just from the level of detail that that's put out. And again, I remember the first go time get I the tried... beast, though. I would yeah. say that. I, I remember the first time I tried to download the RSP. I had to create some space on my, my laptop. Yeah, yeah. But it's it like King Kong, it's pretty it's pretty nimble. You know, it can yep. get up a building. And, oh, and yeah. So, but uh, anyway, you know, on that note, and again, you know, check out what Dane Brugler does too, because I'm, Absolutely. you know, obviously I'm just talking trash in a fun industry sort of way more than I am like denigrating what he does. Um, you know, we do, he does fantastic work. So thanks again. And you guys have a good week.